My name is John Chafee. I was trained as a pastor and this is one of the ways in which I try to do something good with that education. This is Begin Again. So if you are looking for a nuanced or interesting take on the Jesus tradition and all of its wisdom and all of its perplexity and mystery, then you found the right place. I sincerely hope that this helps you to rethink some things, to maybe grow in your own way for health and holiness, for your benefit and for the benefit of those around you. So again, welcome to Begin Again. All right. Uh, this day, on this glorious day, we have Brian McLaren with us. Brian, thank you for being a part of this today. Thank you. Oh, I'm so happy. So happy to get to meet you and have this conversation. Uh, I got a copy of Do I Stay Christian just a few weeks ago. I'll be honest, I read it in less than a week. And oh. uh, I could show you it. Um, enormous amounts of highlighted paragraphs, <laughs> not just single lines. Um, so well, I have that makes a writer that makes a writer feel really good. So thanks. <laughs> so I have a, a few questions for you, but um, I think I would love to hear your synopsis. What what would you say the book? Do I stay Christian? What was your goal in writing this? Yes. Well, uh, I, I guess the backstory, John, is that I've had so many people through the years uh, come and say to me, uh, you know, they're, they're not sure if they can hang in there any longer. Um, and surprising numbers of clergy are, the, are, are really feeling that way too. Mm. Um, not, not just saying that they're thinking about leaving ministry, but also that they're actually thinking about whether they even want to be affiliated or identified with Christian faith. Wow. I think for, for young people, that's especially intensified in the last, uh, in the last five or six years. I think 2016, that whole election season, watching how so many uh, Christians, especially white, uh, conservative white Christians showed up. I think it just made other people feel like, what is this really about for me? So mm. that question just has been coming up again and again and again. And of course, I've struggled with that uh, question myself. And um, so that was the kind of backstory. It's just out there. It's just in the air. And I, I don't know about you, but I keep thinking, any day it could get a lot worse. <laughs> in other words, uh, you know, it's it's not like we've hit bottom yet. Uh, and uh, so I I wanted to write this book, but I didn't want to write a book con trying to convince people to stay Christian or to write a book to convince people to leave Christianity. I wanted to write a book to help people think through the question. And so that led to how the book is shaped and, mm -hmm. and kind of the tone of the book. Yeah. Which was brilliant when I opened it and just took a look at the the table of contents. You broke the book up into three parts. Do I stay Christian? No, yes, and then how? That was yeah. stroke of genius. I, I was trying to think of a fourth category and I couldn't. <laughs> well, thanks. Well, the, the obviously I, in the first uh, third of the book, I really felt we just needed to face all the good reasons people have to leave the Christian faith. Um, and just take them seriously and not minimize them in any way. Um, then in the second third, I, I wanted to ask, 
with your eyes wide open to the first 10 chapters to talk about no, is it possible to even say yes? And so that was the kind of project mm. of the middle part of the book. But then at the end of that book, I, I basically reached the conclusion uh, at the end of that second part, I reached the conclusion. Some of us are going to stay Christian. Some of us aren't. And it doesn't matter what anybody thinks they should do. It's going to happen. And however we answer the question, the next morning we have to wake up and say, what kind of a human am I going to be? How am I going to live? And that's how, what shapes that third part. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a moment one day, it was like five years ago. I remember waking up, I was in a part of Southern Pennsylvania and I thought to myself, I'm not a Christian anymore. I just don't believe this anymore. Yes. And then I just decided that day, I'm going to walk wherever truth leads me and wherever that is, that's okay. And for yes. me personally, by the end of the day, I walked back into the faith. But the way I word yes. it is, uh, I was no longer holding on to God. God was holding on to me. The whole mystic yes. turn is what saved me, yes. you could say, you know? Well, as you're, I'm sure, aware, uh, oh, gosh, decades ago now, the great Catholic theologian said, you know, if anyone's going to be a Christian in the future, they'll, they'll be mystics. And so this yeah. dimension of some experiential uh, definition of Christianity, hmm. I think, becomes increasingly important. Um, but, you know, that day when you said, I'm not a Christian anymore, I don't believe all these things, it, it, it's one of the things I tried to make clear in the book uh, for, for people. You know, uh, there are very few Jews that have ever woken up and say, I don't believe this or that that Jews believe, so I'm not Jewish, because they've never had the understanding that being Jewish was primarily about adhering to beliefs. Wow, And that is one of the really deep issues that I think the Christian faith has to engage with. Do we believe the Christian faith should be defined by a list of beliefs that everyone has to adhere to? Mm. And uh, yeah, so that that's one of the things that's uh, that's uh, that that needs needs serious attention because there are problems on both sides. Um, uh -huh. But one of the problems with the status quo is you can be a racist, but still be a good Christian because you uphold, uphold the beliefs. You hold that the doesn't seem creed. Quite right. Yeah. Yeah. I want to say that's actually a direct line from your book. Yes. Right. Which is yeah. just yeah. striking. And you were there in Charlottesville when that day happened. Yes. Yeah. My gosh. I think yeah. um, I just finished teaching a, a class today about how Jesus fulfilled being a prophet, priest, and king, and how then yes. we're supposed to be reverent royal rogues in the world. Yes, I like that. I like that. But it's being present to the issues, not escaping the issues. It's about yeah. looking with open eyes, which um, in case people don't know, you also have a great podcast on learning how to see about overcoming confirmation biases. It was brilliant. Yes. Oh, thanks. Yeah, we've really been surprised at the CAC, uh, Center for Action and Contemplation, how, uh, how much response there was to that podcast series. So we did two seasons, mm -hmm. and we just recorded a third season that will be released in a couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping that would happen. It was good. In, in fact, it's in my inbox. I've got to listen to the first edits. So we'll oh, see. Awesome. <laughs> but I'm sure it'll be good. I, the, the, the conversations I've had have been uh, just stunning. And I have a few more conversations coming up with some amazing people. Yeah. Absolutely. Which, you know, as, as a podcaster, one of the, it's just a thrill to meet people and oh, the internet is going. 
I, I try to only use the internet for the best reasons. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I like that. This is one of them. Well, it, can I share with you some of the the chapters that really hit me hard, and then I would like to ask yeah. which ones were were hitting hard for you. Um, the yeah. one on company men that the church yeah. loves people that sign off on it and never give it an honest look or critique. Yeah. That chapter, A plus. The one about money is the real thing that drives what's said or not allowed to be said. And uh, yeah. that can really hamstring. Um, uh, and another point I want to ask you about spiritual arrested development. Um, yeah. But I noticed in some of your chapters, you reference Ilya Delio, who's just down the road yes. from me at Villanova. Her, oh, she's yes. brilliant. Yeah. Oh, so brilliant. Yes. Um, you know, these last several years, um, uh, my uh, partly through my relationship with the Center for Action and Contemplation and Richard Rohr, but this began long before that, I've just become deeply connected, at, resonant with the Franciscan tradition. Mm -hmm. And uh, and Ilya is such a, a, a beautiful exemplar of the green edge of the Franciscan tradition. And so uh, we've, we've worked together on a couple projects. And in fact, she and I are the two kind of plenary speakers for the gathering of all the Franciscan uh, organizations that will happen in June of this year. And uh, so I'm really looking forward to being with her in a couple of months because um, like just as in an awful lot of our churches, the average age of the average Franciscan uh, uh, friar or a sister is, uh, you know, the average age is creeping up. And so it's it's a time where Catholics, Protestants, all of us are having to ask some questions about what's the future? Uh, there's going to have to be some deep changes. And mm -hmm. one of the things I love about Ilya is she, she's saying, look, we've got to let the Franciscan insight get out there and, and not just hold it into the to the people who carry that name. And I think that's true for the general wisdom of Jesus and the general wisdom of the gospel. I have a friend who says, his mission is trying to let Jesus' wisdom go open source <laughs> and get oh, out there in everybody's hands. Yeah. And I believe I was listening to some presentation Ilya gave about how if Tehard de Chardin were Franciscan, they wouldn't have censored him. And it made me laugh so hard. <laughs> you know, but you also reference yes. Tayard, and uh, I binge read him a couple summers ago, and I thought, here's a guy who maybe you don't have to agree with everything, but his method that it's okay if Christianity evolves is not becoming more yes. conservative or liberal, but it needs to keep blossoming. And yes. man, that that it was almost like a holy virus in my, the programming of my thinking just changed the way I thought about everything. And yes. In fact, you asked which chapters of mine were the, uh, you know, the favorite to, mm -hmm. to write. And I got to write about, uh, about change in this book in a couple of places, but there's one chapter where I basically s say this. I, and it, as I was writing, I felt like I'm finally putting into words what I've been trying to get into words. And that is that, I used to think that things were real and change happens to things. And now I think that change is real and things emerge as events in the flow of change. <laughs> yeah. 
So that was a shift that happened for you, or at least you were able to name yes. it for yourself. Yes, yes. And and that's something that I think Teilhard was grappling with 100 years ago. Uh, and that in, in many ways, the early 20th century is when both in biology through evolution, you know, that had just mm. been around for 50 years or so at the turn of the, the last century. Um, and in astrophysics, because, you know, it wasn't until the early 20th century that that scientists realized that the universe is expanding. There, there mm -hmm. had, e even though we shifted our models of the universe, we went from an Earth-centered universe to a Sun-centered universe, and then to a galaxy, you know, galaxies that are, there is no real center to the universe. Um, although we might say there was one in time, but not in space. Uh, mm. we then had to f deal with the fact that the entire universe is an unfolding story. It's yeah. not a structure, a static structure. It's an unfolding story. And so this is just this deep change in the way that we, that we see the world. And it has so much, so many profound effects on, on how we hold our Christian faith. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. What do you think would be the the main thing then? If we're shifting from having a static universe to an, a blossoming one, what do you think are yeah. some of the first changes that might happen to someone as they try to maintain faith? One of the deepest ones is what our understanding of God is, um, because so many of our understandings of God come from Greek philosophy. Mm -hmm. um, we don't realize this, but all those words, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, those aren't biblical words. Uh, uh, they, they really are words that arose as Greek philosophers were describing theos, their idea of a supreme um, being. Uh, and, and then what ended up happening in Christian history is that we took those Greek ideas and then we've read them back into the Bible. Mm. Um, and, uh, and the verses in the Bible that reinforce them, and there are many, we elevated. And the verses in the Bible that undermine them, we... Uh, let those be metaphorical, ah. um, or, or, or in some other way, we sort of, sort of subordinated them. Um, and so one of the key ideas of God in many people's theology is that God is unchanging. Um, now, uh, this all has to do with the idea that uh, if something is perfect, it can only change for the worse. But... So the idea is God couldn't ever change because if God were to change, if you're already perfect, you could only change for the worse. Mm -hmm. um, but there was an early church uh, genius, really, named Gregory of Nyssa. And uh, Gregory of Nyssa got in a bit of trouble with many of his fellow scholars of the time because he, he said he believed that God's perfection was infinite progression. Oh, that's brilliant. And, and that... And, and that, in a sense, the story of the universe, we could say it in this way, uh, you know, to talk about time before the Big Bang, who knows what that means. But before the Big Bang, <laughs> God had never been the creator of this universe before. So oh. in a sense, God has experience and God entered into a new realm of experience and in, interacting with this universe. And you could say that before you were born or before I was born or before any one of our listeners, uh, you know, was born, um, the creator of the universe had never had one of us to relate to before, uh, uh -huh. a, a unique human like us. And so this idea that, that it, it takes away this idea that God is 
unchangeable in the past started a universe and eventually this universe will be wiped away so that we can get back to stasis where no, nothing ever changes again. <laughs> I think, I think one of the things this does say, no, God is dynamic. Um, and, yeah. and, and God is, is constantly interacting with a dynamic universe. And, uh, so the, that, that would be one area. Uh, well, Gregory of Nyssa has been a, a recent binge of mine. Um, is that so? Oh, absolutely. And especially some of the things that he talks about. I mean, I'm a fan of the reconciliation and restoration of all things. And he's yes, he was a student of origin. Origin was denounced for it, but Gregory of Nyssa somehow got by. <laughs> you know, yes, yes, like, yes. I mean, apparently, it all matters in how you say it. But <laughs> that's probably true. Right? But the idea of moving away from perfection, uh, yeah. I actually did early on in COVID. I had the opportunity to do a Zoom class on the Book of Hebrews. And every time yes. I, we came across the word perfect in Hebrew, telos, I chose to interpret as mature. Be mature yes. as God is mature. Be fully yes. developed as, as God is already fully developed, or however you want to say it. Yes. And I realized yeah. there was a real pushback. Some people really didn't want to give up on the idea that God is perfect, which that tells you something. But they, they didn't even want to admit that maturity was a big part of the Christian thing. Which also maybe yes. goes back to your other book, Faith After Doubt is all about maturity of faith. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And before we move on to that, we should say that uh, lest anybody is you know, uh, too disturbed by what we just said, hmm. um, it, it's not that we're saying God is less than perfect. Um, here's the way I say it. In, in the first chapters of Genesis, God makes the universe and says it's good and it's very good. Mm -hmm. um, and so I remember one time, oh, this is 20 years ago when I was reading Genesis, it hit me, you know, like a flick to the head. And it was <laughs> he, Hebrew good is better than Greek perfect because oh, wow. Greek perfect is static and sterile, but mm -hmm. Hebrew good is dynamic and fertile. So the goodness of God always spins out more goodness. The goodness of God creates goodness, expands goodness. Uh -huh. And um, so if, if that, that's the way I like to say it, Hebrew good is better than Greek perfect. That's brilliant. Tov, Tov Meod. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. Well, when I was reading through um, the second part of your book, um, when I got to the yes section, Yes. I loved the chapter about defiantly staying. Yes. Which was early on in that section. But um, I think it's in that one. You talk about having whiskey with two nuns. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That sounds like a holy yes. conversation. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Do you yeah. We, we, it, uh, it was at a, an event where I spoke and, uh, and I, uh, I won't recount the whole story because it's there in, in the book, but these two wonderful nuns, both, you know, I forget exactly, but probably at the time, probably 15 or 20 years older than me. Uh, uh, so they were getting up there in years and they had had such high hopes for change in the Catholic Church back after Vatican II mm -hmm. in the 1960s. And then, as many people know, Vatican II opened doors, and then a lot of uh, Catholic leaders came and slammed those doors shut as fast mm -hmm. as they can. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was a heartbreaking conversation 
but it was also, I was inspired by the fact that these nuns said, look, if, if they kick me out, I have a lot to lose, mm-hmm. but I, I have to speak my truth. I won't be silenced. Yeah. I won't, I won't just comply. Uh, you know, and, and I'm sad to say this, but it comes back to the issue of money. There are a lot of people, uh, Protestants as well. There are things they want to say. There are things they care about. There are things they believe. There are wrongs that they've witnessed that they'd like to name so that we can change and move forward. But they know if they do, some people will stop giving money. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it's very tempting to just say, well, I, I won't I won't say that then, or I'll tone it down. Uh, and then that just reinforces the status quo. And people suffer. Women suffer. Uh, you know, right. these, these nuns, uh, they, they, in a sense, they were... Uh, you know, obviously brilliant and creative and resilient. Um, but um, they felt that in their years in in ministry, mm-hmm. they were given less respect now than they were 50 years ago. Really? That's yeah. really tragic. Yeah. Less. By, by their own church, yeah. Well, that's maybe a part of the defiantly stay. Um, yes. I'm an Enneagram five. So I love doing yes. research and then yes. I'll go want to buck the whole system, but I'll have footnotes to everything that I say, <laughs> you know? Yes. Um, yes. But I found um, sometimes it's, it's really tragic that the, sometimes it feels as though the church wants to stay ignorant of some of what the church has already said. So there yes. were when in, I would go to uh, speak at, a youth event because formerly I was a youth pastor. I know I bring up Gregory of Nyssa or Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Julian of Norwich, or Teresa of Avila, and sometimes I'd be just told, "Just don't bring, just don't do, just talk about Jesus." I'm like, I never stopped. <laughs> like, <laughs> what's right. happening here? But that's right. I would love to hear your your input about is it possible or how does one overcome uh, spiritual arrested development because yeah. I think, although that's more your most second most recent book, um, Faith After Doubt, I felt as though this one, Do I Stay Christian, had a lot to do with, yes, you can stay Christian, but maybe it means you can't be the type of Christian that you always were. You have to find a yes. new way of being it. And I'd love to hear yes. you riff on that. Yes. Yes. So, um, sometimes it helps for folks to think of an extreme. Uh, it, it helps them if they think of an extreme, they can see their own situation better. So mm-hmm. probably most folks in the U.S. have seen or heard of Westboro Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a small little family, somewhat cultic group that um, that I'll bet agrees with all the fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith. Um, but, you know, they go to when they, they, they disrupt funerals and they uh, they uh, and hold up you know, God hates this group, God hates that group, uh, mm-hmm. signs. Mm-hmm. And they have a Bible verse that they can see that God hates certain things. And so they like to quote, to hold that up. And um, and they're very argumentative and very vicious. So Im- imagine you were born in that group. And and I think any of us can imagine it. You, we have no choice where we're born. Mm-hmm. So you're a child growing up in that group. 
And in fact, one of the young women who grew up in that group, her, her, she was a relative of, I think it's Fred Phelps, the guy who's in charge. Uh -huh. I can't remember if, it was, if she was his daughter or his granddaughter. I think, anyhow, she was in the family. Her name was Megan Phelps. And she reached a stage where uh, because she always approached people of other religions with such disdain, mm -hmm. she, you know, she insulted them from the very first word, you're going to hell or whatever mm -hmm. she would say. Usually they responded in kind, but then she met, I think they were some, some Jews who responded grace, graciously to her and would engage her in conversation. Mm -hmm. And little by little, her encounter with the other made her realize maybe there's something wrong with the version of Christianity I inherited. Wow. And, and so I think we, we could all see, yeah, if the only way to be a Christian is not the way that Westboro Baptist allows you to be a Christian. Um, well, then we could extend that and say, maybe the form of Christianity I grew up with doesn't work for me. I'm not going to make it there. I can't do it in good faith. It doesn't mean that Christianity has failed. It just means that form of Christianity. By the way, we're seeing this really play out in a very dramatic way right now, because in the Eastern Orthodox tradition, this is Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Ukrainian Orthodox, and so on. Um, the Russian Orthodox uh, primate, the leader, is totally supportive of uh, Vladimir Putin mm -hmm. and the, the invasion of Ukraine. And the Ukrainian Orthodox leaders are saying, are you kidding? Mm -hmm. We, you know, we can't support this. And right. so we're watching, even in Orthodoxy, people are having to say, yeah, I, I actually am allowed to disagree with what some of the big leaders say mm -hmm. and, uh, and go in a new direction. Which, again, is a part of that defiantly stay. I think that yes. there's this um, general understanding that if the authorities speak for God, if you speak against the authorities, then you're speaking against God. But yes. um, that's the whole tradition of the Nevi'im, the prophets. I mean, yes. Walter Brueggemann changed my world a couple of years ago when yes. I read The Prophetic Imagination. Yes. And, and um, well, let me, let's shift for a moment. Um, this book, Do I Stay Christian, do you, do you expect any pushback on particular chapters? Do, are there any ones that you know this one is probably going to rile people more than others? Um. I expect a lot of pushback, but can I tell you, um, it's a it's a strange time in this regard. Um, uh, some of my earlier books were very controversial and got a lot of people really upset. Mm -hmm. And then I learned something. Um, I I, uh, there, there, I I don't want to mention any names here, but there was this one uh, Baptist, uh, what's well, called a Reformed Baptist writer, podcaster, blogger. Actually, I'm not sure he was a podcaster, but he was a writer and a blogger. And he was quite influential. It turns out he had organized people uh, to, every time a positive review came up on Amazon about one of my books, really, he had a group of people who would come on and post a negative review. <laughs> um, and very often it was clear they hadn't read the book. They would just do an ad hominem attack. Oh, of some okay. Uh-huh. So, so he was organizing people to do this and he would write uh, critical things about me every chance he got. Um, and, uh, and what happened is 
I had a book coming out. I can't remember which one it was, but four or five books back, this would have been. <laughs> and he sent out an email. And of course, I would not be on this email list. This was to the people who sort of would go after the people he told them to attack. And um, here's what the email said. Oh, and, and a friend of mine was on his email list, got the email and forwarded it to me. So I got to see behind the curtain. Oh, man. And um, so he said this, and many people will know who Rob Bell is. And he said, McLaren has a new book coming out. We need to learn a lesson from what happened with Rob Bell. He said, when I and others attacked Rob Bell, it just made more people read his books. So we have to all agree, nobody should say anything about McLaren's <laughs> books ever again. They learned their lesson. So you, <laughs> so you, but but the sad thing about that is what it means is a whole lot of people they just live in a very small bubble where where only insiders you know are are referred to and only insiders and insiders that they want to kick out and then they sort of mention them and then kick them out. But at any rate, a lot of those folks won't read my books anymore. So uh, you know that won't happen. Um, but some will. Some will. It's amazing who I, it, it's amazing who I hear from and I'm sure there'll be some, some negative feedback and that's okay. I think that's mm -hmm. all part of discussion. In fact, one of my little mottos in life is that every criticism is an opportunity to either learn where I'm wrong or to clarify my message. Wow. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's part of the mature response. I'm not well, sure I, 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 it, do it, that all the time. It, it took a lot of years of not being mature to slowly maybe stumble in that direction. That's right. I, uh, maybe two more thoughts, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, I'm very much enjoying this. This is a, a real treat. Thank you. And uh, I guess it would be in the yes section to stay. Yes. One of your chapters was about because it would be a real tragedy to leave a faith in its infancy. Yes. And the idea of having a long arc and saying, maybe we're still in kindergarten Christianity. Maybe we're not even at middle yeah. school level yet. Um, yes. Have you seen people um, start to wake up to the ideas like, no, actually, we're still early in this game. Humanity still hasn't learned all that it can yet. <laughs> yes. You know? Well, this really takes us full circle to that question that you raised before about development and evolution and time. Mm -hmm. And and this is why one of those, um, that, that word perfect, even though I understand it's a precious word and I use it all the time, but why <laughs> it can have an unintended negative side effect. Uh. And that is it, it gives people the idea that the purest, highest and best form of something is its original form. In other words, it comes oh. fully formed, purest, highest and best. And then over time, it can only get worse or you can stay the same. When you ever hear people mm -hmm. say, that's a slippery slope, what they're basically saying is, we were at the top of the mountain and if we're not careful, we could slide down the mountain, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, we all can lose ground, that's certainly true. But I'd like to propose that we didn't start at the top of the mountain, we start at the bottom of the mountain. And, uh, and if we want to talk about Jesus and the apostles, Jesus starts leading the way up the mountain. And then he says to us, um, it's better that I leave. I'm going to send my spirit. My spirit will continue to guide you. In other words, this isn't the high water mark. Yeah. And, and in fact, 
There's even a place in, I believe it's the Gospel of John, where Jesus says, hey, you think I've done great things. You're going to do greater things. In other words, keep climbing that mountain. Great, greater things are going to happen than I've, than I've been able to do. So, uh, you know, you would hesitate to say that if it weren't there in black and white in the Gospels. Yeah. But, but what that says to me is Jesus was a leader who started something and then assumed that the Spirit would continue to lead us forward. And, um, and so, in fact, he even used the phrase, you know, the spirit will guide you into all truth. Mm -hmm. he, he said, there's a lot of things I'd love to teach you. You're not ready for them. And so mm -hmm. that has this mm -hmm. idea of ongoing dynamic growth. And we would hope then that the Christian faith is in a better place. And, and mm -hmm. look, it's, it was only 200 years ago that the vast majority of white Christians in the United States used the Bible to justify slavery. It was only a hundred years ago that the vast majority of white Christians in the United States used the Bible to justify segregation or used the Bible to say that women shouldn't be given the right to vote. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, there are ways that I think we can see that we've grown and matured, but man, we still have a long way to go. And we have the possibility of going backwards too. Uh, yeah. And I, you bring up this phrase, I think it's, it's in the how section. And we, you get it from uh, Ken Wilber, who I also really enjoy. This idea of yes. transcend and include that yes. it's okay to keep growing, but don't grow into a new form of Christianity and reject or insult where you came from. That's actually yes. unhealthy spirituality. Can you? Yes. Sure. Do, yeah, my, my, Ken Wilber. Uh, a long, long time ago, okay. um, someone had read some of my books and said, "Have you? You sound like Ken Wilber. Have you ever heard of him?" And so when I, I, I ended up reading him, and and then to my surprise, turns out Wilber had read some of my stuff and quoted me in one of his books or footnoted <laughs> or something. But, um, but, uh, but see, this goes together with this idea we talked about before that that. Uh, that the way God makes the world, I mean, start in Genesis one, and I don't take Genesis one literally, but I sure take it seriously. God doesn't make the world fully populated. God doesn't make the mm. world, uh, you know, God makes the world and tells animals, be fruitful, multiply. There's work for you to do. Tells people, there's, yeah. you know, things don't come with names, <laughs> make up the names. And uh, the world doesn't come with cities, you know, people make cities. And so, uh, uh, this idea that God's under, that God's creativity continues to unleash new creativity. Mm. Um, that, that to me is what, uh, what really, really helps us, uh, to, mm. and then to look at the Christian faith and say, look, uh, I don't want to be part of a Christian faith and have to say, this is as good as it gets because oh. this is not good enough. Mm -hmm. We've got a long way to go. So, and, and so we're to be part of a living tradition means we accept that this tradition is still growing to be part of a dead tradition is to say it can't grow anymore. Which I, for some reason, my mind just jumped to uh, Jack Caputo, who yes. you wrote the, the forward to what would Jesus deconstruct? And yes. that idea that a, a static tradition is dead, but yes. one that can self critique and one that can prune off what's not working and keep growing. Hmm. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's the only way that makes sense. Like as soon as a person gives him or herself permission to think in that way, it's very hard to unsee what you've just yeah. seen. Uh, it, uh, yeah.
but and and here's the irony if you if a person knows church history mm-hmm. they know that Christianity has changed so much in its first 2000 years. You know, I mean, I grew up evangelical and I thought that Paul went from town to town inviting people to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. That that phrase, accept Jesus Christ, is nowhere, you know, in church history. Um, a personal Lord and Savior, nowhere in church history. Uh, uh, and so you realize, oh, I, I, I mean, yeah. You know, the altar call <laughs> comes along in the 1900s, you know, uh, Charles Finney. it's just, yeah, that's right. So, so, uh, yeah, th- this thing is, is evolving and developing and, and it can get better and it can get worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the same goes for Islam and Judaism and Hinduism and Sikhism and so on. This is true of everything. It's true of me too. I can get worse or I can continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Well, when Let's start to wrap it up. I, when I finished your book, I thought this was very hopeful. I really thought so. But I think it was really kind in a way to leave the door open that if people feel like they can't stay, that that, yeah. that may not sound hopeful, of course, but at least it's honest. And I think right now yeah. we really need some honest voices. That's all. You know, the people who are ready to jump on somebody for leaving Christian faith, I would just say, imagine this. Imagine you're Roman Catholic and you are 25 or 30 years old and you come to the point in your life where you get enough distance from your family and your home. Mm. And you have to say, you have to tell the truth about that priest who abused you when you were in fourth grade. And that priest who abused you when you were in seventh grade and that priest who abused you when you went away to Catholic college. And, and, and you realize the psychological damage that's caused you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, you realize for me to show up and pretend like this thing is all okay. Like if a, if a Catholic who's been molested by multiple priests, and by the way, I know a lot who have, um, they, you know, to tell them, oh, you have to stay. It just, it, I mean, that's just, and, and, and we both know it's not just Catholics who have this problem. The number of Pentecostals, and there've been, it just seems like every week there's a new mega church leader mm-hmm. who's shown to have been involved in some, you know, shady uh, activity. Mm-hmm. So suddenly you realize, of course, at least temporarily, there's a lot of people who need to get away. They need some distance from their abuser. They need, they need to have the self-respect to say, I'm not going to put myself in that kind of danger, mm-hmm. psychological or otherwise. Right. Yeah. So, well, last question. Uh, if, if this was the sequel to this, Do you have a part three? Is this going to be a trilogy? Do you have a follow-up to Do I Stay Christian Already Thought Out? No, I don't. Um, I actually have just been talking with my uh, publisher about some next writing projects, but um, but I I feel like those two are are, are saying what I know how to say at this point. Yeah. Great. Uh, I, I... I, I'm working on, uh, I actually have a science fiction novel that I'm hoping will see the light of day sometime in the next couple of years. And I have two books that I want to write for a general audience, Christians and non-Christians. In other words, I want to write about some human problems that uh. I think uh, 
people, whatever their religious identity can relate to. I'll get them. Absolutely. Thank <laughs> well, you so thanks. much. And uh, thanks. let's say a sincere appreciation for your time, Brian. You're a delight to talk to you. Thank you so much. Well, I feel the same way. And thanks for the good work you do in, in this podcast. Keep up the great work. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks.